0: Hello and welcome back to the Bigger Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Chen And today I have English teacher and also my soccer coach, Jack Rogers, here with me. How's it going, Jack? Going well. First question for you. Why do you enjoy teaching and what is your uh, why behind teaching? Why did you first get into teaching in the first place?
1: Yeah. um, I think that. Obviously, to become a teacher, and I, I think most teachers here would say that you, you have to feel like you're doing something important and that the specific ideas you're dealing with on a daily basis are important ideas. Yeah. Um, important ideas that they're worth talking about in some extended sense mm-hmm. um, and that they have an impact on the way people think, the way they live, the, the way they live their lives, mm-hmm. sort of the way they impact the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a baseline. mm mm-hmm. For me, literature is something that has always made me um, really happy. I I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially as I went through the end of high school and college, um, I started to get that importance, that literature is something really important. Mm -hmm. um, That by... Something I'm I'm really invested in is this ethical component of literature. Mm -hmm. um, That... Reading actually, reading and writing and engaging with stories because that's mm-hmm. that's what literature is—it's storytelling—in mm-hmm. um, some way makes us better people or encourages to encourages us to be better people. Uh, how how would that happen?
0: How would stories make us better people?
1: Um, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. I think a stories are at the heart of uh, empathy and compassion. Is mm-hmm. is one of the big things. Right. Um, Hearing about how other people see the world, getting outside of our own perspectives, understanding that there are other ways of viewing the world. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is, um, all that is essential to us, I think, becoming better human beings who understand others mm-hmm. more fully. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that ethics in some sense is always speculative mm-hmm. um, in that it talks about who we are now and who we should be. We Mm -hmm. want to be the Mm -hmm. sort of alternate versions. So I think really connected to becoming a better person is this element of fiction, Mm -hmm. thinking about something that doesn't exist yet. Um,
0: Mm. How do you mean? Can you explain more?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So there's this philosophical distinction between the is and the ought as, which is to say the difference between what exists right now Mm -hmm. and what could be or what should be in a moral sense or just some sort of ethical potential sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's really hard to make that bridge, get from what exists already to the way we think things should be, whether it's that for ourselves personally. um, Like, oh, this is what I want to be. This is the person I wish I was. How do I get there? Mm -hmm. Or in a larger social political sense, this is the way I think society should work. This is the way... Things should be on a more global sense. How do we get there? That's one of these like really big <laughs> problems mm-hmm. in in almost any subject and just sort of um, human life. How, how, do, how do we do, get where we want yeah. to
0: be? And how do you think literature helps explore the topic? Because what you said right there that the is and the ought is is so true and happens all the time. I feel like, um, well, for example, research shows that humans are only present for around what thirty percent of the time, a lot of times we're either in the future or the past and we would reminisce about the past and wish we could be back in time, you know, the good old days as you know, for example, or also in the future that we wish that some, some we could be something like that. Or also we we could be discontent with, with the present that we want to be something else. So how how does literature help us get through that dilemma in yeah. some sense?
1: Yeah. Literature for me is this realm of Sort of imagining and speculating right. uh, the whole idea, and, and not just fiction as a genre, as in like um, novels and stuff, but any sort of writing or literature is telling these stories that fill in the spaces um, that don't don't exist, um, mm-hmm. filling them with these sort of words and ideas that can help us understand how to get from yes, step arts out of our own fixed reality that we have this sense of, okay, this is how things are. Um, this is how they are for us. Um, these sort of values or perceptions um, can seem immutable and they're just features of the world. Or really they're features of our own understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. And literature can help us step outside and recognize the things that are actually unstable or the things that don't fully cohere or the mm-hmm. things that are not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And in that sort of destabilization, which is also imagination, mm-hmm. um, we can start to make that bridge between, okay, here's where I am. And here's where I can sort of break out of where I am mm-hmm. and go different places mm-hmm. and not just go different places. But that's part of the fun of the literature is that it can take us different places. Mm-hmm. Um to go through the imagination of other
0: people and using their imagination to sort of help, out, help us be inspired and get us to imagine yeah. even and better.
1: More. Yeah, and, and some of those places are just places that are fun. They're cool to read about and talk about. But some mm-hmm. of those places are legitimately that next step of becoming a better person or that envisioning a better world. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes... it takes a lot of sort of adventure and freedom and courage to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think stories allow us to do it. Right.
0: And that's very true. Stories do have a very magical power of, of connect one, connecting different people and to taking different people to different places. And, and speaking of which you do teach literature a lot, you teach a lot of literature and, what is your teaching approach, and how do you teach this concept of, of getting people to embrace the storytelling and also enjoy this?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite quotes um, from a, a German philosopher-theorist end of the 20th century, this guy Theodor Adorno, um, he, he says it about philosophy, but I think it applies very well to literature. Where he says, philosophy is the most serious business in the world, But after all, it isn't that serious. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I really try to do in my classes. Um, Like if when I envision a good day in class, it's a day that we have spent time wrestling with really difficult questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've also spent time laughing and not taking ourselves so seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the sort of lightness and seriousness um, are Opposites and in their and their poles, but they're also really connected. Um, when hmm. when we you know, we do I, we do have this, I think, obligation in the classroom to talk about really hard stuff. Um, but when we there is some point where talking about difficult things becomes taking ourselves so seriously that those things weigh us down and we don't have that adventure we don't have that speculative imagination that allows us to kind of laugh and then go beyond what we're already thinking mm-hmm. um, when we are able in the classroom to
0: mm-hmm.
1: have moments where things are funny or things um are loose it actually allows us to think so much better mm-hmm. um, so that, that's how I approach my classes. Um, I really, I think it's really important at the beginning of every class mm-hmm. uh, to not. Uh, I actually think it's important to not just dive in right away.
0: Right.
1: I think it's important to have some time to joke around. Joke um, around, yeah, to
0: create that mood, uh, the lightness in in the classroom, so people can be, feel can feel free in your classroom, can feel and. Embrace and also d- d- Discover and develop passion in, With the subject of literature Because uh, That's one of the things you ma- you mentioned uh, this, Which is to mix fun Into the classroom it Sort of helps understanding And I, I think that's so true Because um, In some of my literature classes um, Some of my teachers Aren't making the class very engaging So it's you know We're just reading books Reading texts And it always it It you know before, in, in especially in middle school, I, literature was like one of my least favorite subjects because our teachers make it just read, 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 and just didn't have those fun discussions or, or the lightness mood. And it's it's hard for us, for for me to even tune in and dive in because I'm just not present in the classroom because cause, cause I don't really enjoy being there. But then, like you said, once you create that fun environment, students would want to want to come in and and want to learn and how do you create that fun mood what is your way of of make creating that environment
1: um that's a good question i think that part of it is the way part of is the way you approach texts Mm -hmm. um one of my biggest memories from high school actually is a is I had a sophomore English teacher who one day we came in and she told us we were reading um, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, which Mm. especially for us as sophomores in high school, we were like, this is not, (laughs) it's a slog. It's a bit of a slog. It's Mm -hmm. very long Victorian fiction. (laughs) Um, And one day we came in and she gave us a quiz And the quiz had one question, Mm -hmm. and the question was, What was the funniest part of the book so far? (laughs) And I just remember sitting there and looking around at everybody else, like looking one way and looking the other. And (laughs) everybody was like, What? This book is not funny. Yeah. But then, and she looked at us and she was like, What do you mean it's not funny? Like, it is funny. And, for, for a big chunk of that class, we just went through the book and we found all the parts that actually were funny once we started reading them out loud and we started talking about them and mm-hmm. um, being willing to think about literature in that way. And, and to realize that that doesn't, like to find funny elements in books or to laugh at a character doesn't mean you also don't take them seriously. Um, mm-hmm. But it adds complexity uh, and it adds sort of depth of understanding. Mm-hmm. I also think that when... When people feel comfortable, not just as students, but as as humans. Mm -hmm. um, I find almost inevitably when people are able to sort of just be themselves. Mm -hmm. um, There's a lot of there's a lot of comedy that comes up. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's almost less it's almost less creating that kind of environment and more. Like it's not like I come in with my with my set of jokes and I'm like this is how I'm going to implement <laughs> yeah. comedy in the cl- like lightness in the classroom. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not something that I'm putting into it. It's something that I'm leaving space for, and come yeah, pe- pe- people supply their own lightness when when they're given the chance. Interesting. So, do you
0: create any activities? Or um, any icebreakers at the start of a classroom, like what specific things would you do to make sure that people can feel um, authentic and comfortable?
1: Um, I do various, yeah, I guess I guess I do a lot of things, um, but I I guess I would feel that, I guess I feel that probably the most effective thing is, again, not any particular activity, um, but giving lots of room for conversations Mm -hmm. um, and trying to, yeah, trying to engage how with how students are how students are doing and how students are interacting with not only stories, but with each other and how they're, how they're living their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that every subject, um, this can be said about, but English particularly has stakes and, um, stakes that are much, much bigger than the academic classroom work. Mm -hmm. Um, As we're reading stories about people, this is sort of what I was saying before, but as we're reading stories about people, we're um, learning about an author or a specific text, but we're also learning about how we move through the world. Um, We're learning about ourselves um, and being able to, for me to, um, I'm always, in some sense, the teacher in the classroom, Mm -hmm. but not always having to, you know, especially when we open class, just chatting and goofing around. And somebody wants to tell a story, and then I tell a story, and we we find some way to have that open this space and have that Mm -hmm. um, maybe even lead into our discussion. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So you don't really have an agenda or plan. Of what you well, you would definitely have agendas of what you want to do for the day, but you don't have like a opening or or specific.
1: Yeah, often not. Um, with my Hume, with my human one classes, I used to do a question of the day, which is always something sort of like random and absurd. Can and you w- can
0: you give us an example? <laughs>
1: okay. Um, <laughs> they were sort of the 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 questions. They were always. So I, I tried to come up with something strange and something that would sort of draw out the intuition of various people. And w- like w- one of the ones I do this, one of the ones I did which really stuck with me and it's just one of my favorites um, was I asked them, are you, I told them there are three types of people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bold people, uh, there are italic people, and there are underlying people.
0: And I asked. Mean? Them, I'm I, curious.
1: Yeah, I asked them to say, "Are you bold? Are you italics? Or are you underline?" Just as a person, like not what you prefer to do when you're doing the title of your paper, but like your personality. um mm. And it was really, and it's it was so fun because you know there's no clear standards. Yeah, there's no like <laughs> there's no it's obvious. It's all up
0: to interpretation.
1: But some of them had really strong intuitions they're like no i'm absolutely an underlying person and then somebody sitting next to them would be like no way you're (laughs) bold you're italic (laughs) and i just i thought that was really (laughs) that's a really fun question because it had this element of okay you're getting people are fired up about this they don't know why and um it has this element of absurdity and it's funny yeah but also people get invested in a weird way. Right. And then it's it's so interesting that,
0: I mean, do you come up with these questions yourself or do you search Yeah, online, <laughs> Yes, right? yes. So every class you have to find a new question.
1: Yeah, that was, I, so this was all of the fall when I taught Hume One. Right. And I started doing it the first couple of days as mm-hmm. a way to like make those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started liking it so much that I was, Kind <laughs> of like, am I gonna have to do this every day? <laughs> but I I I did it and it was and and one of the things is that um that I thought was really effective and good about it was that anytime where you, where you can get every student in the first five to ten minutes of the class to speak, it makes such a difference. Mm. makes such a huge difference in sort of the class community and in people's willingness to be engaged. Um so wh- whether I do a question of the day or not, I try to I try to achieve that somehow and sometimes I'm more effective and sometimes I'm less effective. Mm-hmm. Um but do you,
0: would you answer your questions yourself? Like would yeah, you give yeah. them examples? So for
1: example, with the bold uh, italics underline what would you say you are? I definitely I definitely would see myself as an italics person. Why? Um I don't know. <laughs> I I I could give you some sort of justification about how like yeah. the slant of the italics or whatever, but really it's just sort of I think the fun of it is that it's just sort of an uh, aesthetic judgment. Aesthetic know, judgment. It's like a it's a or a you know, cuz the only you know, I, I, I guess we have associations. Maybe people feel like, oh, they mean different things, but really, it's mm. how they how they look on the page, how they feel on the page. Um,
0: so, italics, person, bold, person. Are you are you meaning that what what type of? Writer, are you when you put it on the text? Like, what, what would you would you prefer bold text or, or or no? You know? No, it's just more like personality. Yeah, it's
1: about personality.
0: Because uh, I had like some thoughts running through my mind of how people could answer like bold. Oh yeah, I'm I'm courageous. I'm 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 strong. I'm I'm physically intimidating. whatever. Well, uh, um uh, uh, italics i'm different i'm unique yeah. uh, underline i want to be um uh, known to be noted or something like that <laughs> and yeah, th- there's like a lot of personalities yeah. i can go into it. and that's just interesting i mean so coming up with these questions is it hard to to, to find dig out a question for the class
1: yeah it, it can be what's it can the
0: c- process of, of <laughs> forming a question like i'm curious
1: um a lot of it just came. A lot of them came from like me thinking in the shower, or <laughs> me wandering around campus and coming up with one of them. Like one of them was, one of them which I thought was really fun was, um, I was. It was in the fall and the leaves were changing colors. And I walked in one day and asked my students if something besides the leaves and the trees changed color in the fall. What would it be? And <laughs> what, what, what were some, some the best answers? I got I, I got some really fun ones and some sort of disturbing ones like like I, I think a cool one is rocks or um, one of them I got a couple of times was like animal fur, like the squirrels. <laughs> imagine if the squirrels started changing oh, no. orange and red That's in the fall. <laughs> and then somebody another one was the water. The water, sort of in the in 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 late October, started getting a getting a red tint. I don't know about that. <laughs> I know so, so, somebody's, somebody's like, "Wow, that's a good answer." And also, that's, yeah, that's thank God we don't have that. Yeah, but that's yeah, really interesting. So, so there, yeah, a lot of them came from just sort of observing the world and think about these strange scenarios, um, and and I guess they sort of this sort of loops around to activating this sort of imaginative speculative element of literature, you know, cause a lot of this stuff feels like it could be, you know, that question. Um, also partially inspired by, um, a book uh, that was a favorite book of mine growing up called mm-hmm. the great tree of Avalon by T.A. Barron, mm-hmm. um, where it does, there are, there's a place where some of the stones change colors, mm-hmm. um, but this is this is how this is how literature works in mm-hmm. these speculative imaginative realms and um, accessing that mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. off a class. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not only is engaging and it brings up some of the fun. Yeah. Um, but it also opens the door yeah. for some of those more important speculative conversations.
0: Yeah. Um, just just as I was about to sort of point out too, it. I, yeah. Yeah. The fact that you ask these questions get people to think and get people to be comfortable of answering, of thinking outside the box. And then once you start discussing literature or once you start discussing about the book, people can... um, one be comfortable and confident to speak up because they've already had the experience of speaking and realize, oh, it is fine, and and it's a fun class. And second, second is that they they've they've been used to sort of connecting the dots and sort of thinking about these creative answers and perhaps it can shed a new light on on literature because the literature, the thing about literature is like, especially with these you know a lot of these books, it, it's very open to interpretation. There's no like right answer in some sense.
1: Yeah. I and and part of some of the questions also dealt with um started to deal with text um a lot. one of the one of my one of my another one that's just come to my mind is that um we Oh it was it was it was probably a week after the queen had died, and there was, you know, there, there's the, there's this idea of the the queen's English, which is, I now, I, I guess, the king's English, which is this proper form of English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked them, <laughs> I said to them, the uh, the king, now that it's the king's English, he's in charge of English now, um, mm. has decided that twenty six letters in the alphabet is is just is silly because, of course, it should be 25 because 25 is a much more round, good number. Um, So I said, let me know which letter you're taking out Um, (laughs) of the alphabet. And it's another one where it's it's absurd and there's no, I mean, the stakes of the answers are, you know, if somebody says, like, the first letter of somebody else's name, that person might be like, Bruh. Don't do that to me, but you know the the stakes are ultimately very low because it's so absurd. Yeah, but um, but it gets students to start thinking about interpretation, start thinking about justification. Okay, if you're gonna say, if you're gonna say J, you better have a good reason. <laughs> and so, so think about justification, and also, down. and also think about text, um, right. think about language, think about alphabets, think about how. We why do we have twenty six letters? Like mm. other alphabets don't have t- like other alphabets have fewer letters or more letters or they have characters or they have you know the the scripts mm-hmm. the scripts work differently. Um, they're runic scripts. They're hieroglyphic scripts. Um. And again, this is I I guess this is sort of a through line, but um, thinking in these sort of absurd ways. Yeah. Um starts us also thinking about these more serious questions sometimes thinking about taking away a letter starts us thinking about why are letters this way what mm-hmm. is the significance of the letters we have how did they become like this
0: mm-hmm. yeah cuz a lot of times we we uh, we are in our sort of assumption mode that a lot of things we don't question, we just sort of accept it. And like it, obviously, it's definitely a good way. If we have to question everything, I question, oh, um, how did I wake up this morning? How did how did my bed stay in place? And, you know, there would be too much question, and our brain would be completely obsessed. But then, um, to to but then to, from time to time to sort of pick out these things that we sort of take for granted, like thinking about twenty six letters. that's interesting. I don't think I've I've ever been asked that question in class or something. I, I was thinking, I was just, I was thinking of a response to if I would take uh, probably V, You because know, V is just like not not used in a lot of words. I feel like that that we, life would still be more normal, but no, but to 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 think in these creative aspects could definitely help 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 see literature in another sense, and definitely not in a boring sense. That that definitely in like a creative sense and and and, and you, you definitely want to spark creativity in a classroom.
1: Yeah, um, I it, it's it was this has just made me think of a uh, a great quote about the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy is that what Tolstoy does which is so remarkable is he um, he takes the mundane and makes it strange. Mm. Um, and sort of this process of estrangement that we you know that there's a lot in our lives that we take for granted Mm -hmm. and as as you say that's a (laughs) that's a feature of being human and we need to take Mm. things for granted or take things on faith um learn from experience yeah um but when we have the opportunity to look at the strangeness of the world Um, Look at the strangeness of stories, look at the strangeness of texts and think, okay, I've always taken this at face value. Um, I've accepted it. Um, But the world is much, much stranger than we think it is. And language is much, much stranger than we think it is. And being willing to not only accept, but actually, you know, find potential and find joy in that strangeness. I think is at the heart of so much good interpretation and um, meaning making in literature. I often mm-hmm. tell my students, when you're trying to come up with a good topic, because I never, I never give prompts. I'm mm-hmm. anti-prompt. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Well, well, one of, but one of the things I suggest is that um, go to a place in the book that seems weird. Mm. Like when you're reading it, like What? why is that word there? Why is this being described that way? That's such a weird way of describing it. Those are often the places where the interesting thinking begins. Um, Mm. Noticing uncertainty and strangeness and digging into it and sort of playing with it.
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: Why don't you give prompts? Yeah. um, This is something that's important to me and I, and I, I don't... And, and is true from when I teach ninth graders to when I teach seniors. Um, I think the pro, and, and I work really, you know, part of this is not just, okay, go out into the void and come back with a paper in, in a week. Because mm-hmm. um, coming up with a good prompt is hard. It's really hard. Uh, or a, a good topic. A good topic for your paper is a really hard thing. Um, but that process of coming up with a topic is actually in some ways just as important as the process of writing the paper itself. Um, because all of that work that we've been talking about, the imaginative work, sort of this adventurous interpretation um, Mm -hmm. so much of that happens in looking at the looking at a text looking at a book and figure out what can i say about this Mm -hmm. what can i say about this that only i can say Mm -hmm. that other people my classmates other people have read this wouldn't be able to say Mm i one of the big things i've talked about this year um, is risky risky interpretations Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot easier and safer to write papers that other people agree with mm-hmm. and are <clears throat> or they um, you can write a really good paper that's about something obvious
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it might be struck or you, you can write a really well structured paper about something that seems obvious um and it might have all the mechanics and it might be laid out in exactly the right way mm-hmm. um but even though it sometimes gets lost, what we're doing when we're writing isn't just mechanically producing paragraph structure and grammatically correct sentences. What we're trying to do is to say something important, Mm -hmm. to say something worth saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And to do that is hard and it is risky. Because if you're saying something worth saying, it's going to be something that people haven't thought about before. It's going to challenge them. Um, And they're going to respond to it. They might disagree. Mm -hmm. Uh, They might say, no, you haven't thought about this. Here's an angle you haven't considered. There's Mm -hmm. a counterexample. Um, But asking students to come up with their own topics is in a lot of ways me saying, it's a challenge and an invitation to go say something important. Um,
0: mm-hmm. That that could be challenging. It's, uh, well, that uh, to think about that, it, at the start, do you have to help them a lot? Because we're sort of used to giving suggestions. And, and I think the, the the thing about the empty prompt is, I think that could be the hardest thing, is you don't know what to write about. I don't think of, a, for example, college essays. Right, to think personal statement, you could write about anything you want. That's scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of it is, you know, I do exercises in class to get um, student thinking. And yeah, the, this example I've already talked about, starting with, okay, what's something that you, what's something weird in this book? Mm-hmm. What's something that you disagreed with in this book? What is something you felt strongly about? Mm -hmm. Um, What's a passage or a uh, a page or a section that feels important to you? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes our good analytic engagement begins Mm -hmm. with emotional engagement. um, That we can't quite put a finger on it, but it feels important and getting students to pay attention to those feelings. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It feels like, oh, there's something here, Mm -hmm. and I can't quite tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes unique papers, because it's very rare that... um, People would say a lot of... In a a class, probably a lot of people, if you ask them, okay, what's the main scene of this book? There there would be some disagreement, but probably a couple scenes would come come to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you ask people, what's a scene that really, like, you can't tell me why, but you felt something? um, That's a sort of individual response uh, that people often overlook, but really needs to be cultivated. Because um, that represents what I think is sort of uh, a really fundamental aspect of our engagement with literature,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, almost a subconscious mm-hmm. sense of meaning, mm-hmm. and 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 what and often I I, I find that in my classes um, people are very. <laughs> Very unhappy when I tell them that there will be, there is no prompt, and there will be no prompt. And by the end, yep. I, I think that they end up being much more
0: creative thinkers,
1: creative and proud of their papers, proud of their papers because their papers are saying something that somebody else couldn't have said. Um, mm. Because when even you know when you're given a prompt, especially a strict prompt, but even a loose prompt. Um, there's this comparative element. Like I'm responding right. to this, other people are responding to this. I need to do it better, yeah. Or Yeah, or what are they saying that I'm not saying? Whereas genera- generating your own prompt um, makes it particular. And makes it's, it's unique. Yeah. It's your, your essay. Yeah, and, and it becomes important that you made that contribution. And when... Uh, Something that I did towards the end of the semester that I really believe in is asking students to present, give a pitch of their work that they've done. Um, So to come into class and not just read off of their paper, but get up in front of their peers and say, this is what I wrote about and this is why it was important. This is why I picked this topic. This is why I think it adds to our understanding of the book. Um, Interesting. I did I did did some pitches, and I had students vote on the three the three best pitches, Mm -hmm. and those for for some extra credit. And (laughs) and I think that's also another that's also an important aspect of this. Mm -hmm. um, That at the end of the day, it's not just doing something important, writing something important. It's doing. It's sharing that importance with others. Um, Writing. Sometimes we forget about it because, in school papers, you're just sharing them with a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, But writing is essentially communicative, right? Um, So to write, and then to speak, and to transform ideas from something that started maybe as a feeling of strangeness or of uh, significance. It gets transformed and explored through the written word Mm -hmm. and then it gets conveyed either through writing or through speech Mm -hmm. uh, and has the potential to impact other people Mm -hmm. the way they think about the book about the world about themselves Mm -hmm. Um, that's when we're really doing yeah exciting things in english class very interesting that you just described there, and
0: a question comes off, uh, off of this: How do you become a better reader and analyzer? Because to 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 be able to write a good essay, you have to first be be a good reader to be able to fully comprehend the text, and also to like you said to find those weird moments. But how do you how do you become a better reader and a uh, well for some
1: some maybe a faster reader? yeah um it's a tough question because it's different for everyone yeah well there are different I was talking to somebody about this recently and I found this was a really good good way of articulating it that um there are things you can do to improve your the way you read but every text um Just like talking to... You you can become a better conversationalist. Mm -hmm. um, But talking to every person is different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are certain people where you need to be really energetic and you need to be good at sort of getting your voice in. Mm Because they're a person that will talk a lot and you need to find space to respond and share and it's very fast-paced. Other people it's less about making your own voice heard and it's more about giving them space to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking to every person, you speak in a different tone or use different words. Um, We shift our diction, we shift our vocabulary. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Reading is the same way. Hmm. Every book, every author requires different reading techniques. um, To think about reading books like meeting people. And it makes sense that when we first pick up the pages of the book, just like when we first meet someone, the conversation is going to be awkward. Maybe once in a while you hit it off and it's like it just is flowing, it's easy. But most of the time when we meet a new book, it's a little awkward. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to figure out because we're trying to figure out what it's doing. And maybe it's maybe it's trying to figure out what we're doing, <laughs> but no, Could be. it's um. So yeah, th- there are things I think for me part of being a good, I guess essential to being a good reader, I think is asking those questions, um. And being critical, not taking things for granted, um, mm-hmm. being open to. Okay, what is happening here? That's weird. What's happening here? That's different. Um, mm-hmm. But that leads us into considering every text differently. Mm-hmm. Um, some texts sort of demand. Some texts demand cyclical reading. Mm-hmm. Um, some texts want to grab us and pull us forward. Want to drive the plot along. Um, one of my one of my favorite things to say is that. Unless sometimes it's just archaic language, it's a really old book, and that makes it challenging. But most of the time, when a book is hard to read, it's because on some level, the author wanted it to be hard to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just because authors are little evil people who want us to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um It's because there's something about the challenge. The author wants us to go slow. The author wants us to loop back and say, what did I just read? I need to read that again. They want us to... Sometimes there's... I was talking to a friend recently about a book I taught this semester, which is Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of times where I'm reading through and there's a word I don't know. Mm-hmm. And i'm like w- what is that word like he's using just crazy vocabulary and then you look it up and it's a word he made up it's, it's not a real word it's an invented yeah. word and it it's this moment of yeah the book the author is trying to make us feel disoriented mm. and a little bit lost in the weeds and a little bit confused um so f- it's like figuring out
0: what the author's intention is and sitting in the author's shoes and 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 with the asking questions being critical is it's the it helps you understand what the real sort of intention and also the 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 meaning behind the text is
1: yeah there i i had a i i knew a guy in college who had this idea that whenever he read a book whether it was literature or philosophy said He wanted at least at one point to completely believe the author, completely believe the author's way of seeing the world. Mm. And then afterwards, he could disagree with them. Mm. And he could say, yeah, there's actually all these problems, and he could be critical. Mm. Um, But at least at some point, to fully buy into the author's world, Mm. uh, which I always thought was really amazing. I mean, it's kind of like going. I I gave the, the there's this parallel to meeting people, mm-hmm. but also this parallel to traveling. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a <laughs> well, there, there, there's a there's a famous quote which I've always loved, which is the uh, that the past is a different planet. They do different. They 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 do things different. Or uh, the past is a different country. They do things differently there. Mm-hmm. Um, books are different countries. They're different places, mm-hmm. and that's what makes them wonderful and remarkable. Mm-hmm going back to the beginning they they uh, abstract us and um, they abstract us from our worlds into mm-hmm. new worlds mm-hmm. um, And like going to a new country, you're gonna get there and things are gonna be weird yeah and you're not gonna you're not maybe you don't speak the language. maybe you have trouble meeting people maybe you don't get the customs. You have to sit in it and you have to be open to, to, okay, what is this place? What is this place that I'm now in? How do do things work here? What are the rules? What are the conventions? What are the traditions? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing entering into a book to think about, yeah, to be a really good reader is like that idea of going to a new country. What is the world of the book? How do things work there? Um, And on
0: the point of discovering or oh, new books or discovering say new countries and some that you're describing, what is your way of first finding good books and second of all how do you, how can you tell if it is a good book or not and then um how do you sort of keep keep on that journey of constant reading um the habit of reading
1: yeah, so reading is something that is really, really important to me i I read a lot i try to read at least at least 100 pages a day it's usually more than that wow um
0: when do you find time for that
1: i read in the morning morning i'll i'll some you know this is uh, again people read differently for every book but that people also read differently depending on who they are Mm -hmm. um i cannot read at night (laughs) really why not i just my brain is sort of you know powering down it's Mm -hmm. powering down and but right when i get up in the morning Mm -hmm. i find is a really and to start my day by sort of going somewhere else and and getting involved in a book just gives me so much uh, makes me really happy and gets my brain working and so i I try to always read in the morning um, for an hour 45 minutes an hour at least but hopefully more than that um so what time do you get up it depends when i don't have a block i don't have to get up that <laughs> early but yeah sometimes when i've had a block i get up at 6 30 6 45 7 to give myself that time to to, to read. read i mean it's it's sort of like a lot of people feel like they really want to go for a run in the morning yeah and they they need that sort of exercise before they get their day started um for me, it's it's reading. I, I, I need that. I need that brain work to get my day started. What was um, the
0: book this morning?
1: Uh, I am working through, I'm just starting a collection of philosophical works by a guy named Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. Um, Soren Kierkegaard. Who's, who's just a peculiar, he's, he's a wonderfully peculiar person. He wrote under... Danish... Uh,
0: theologian he
1: wrote he wrote under dozens and dozens of pseudonyms Hmm. um, in like from the from all of these different identities pretending Hmm. to be different people and assuming different roles and Mm -hmm. um yeah he's he's fantastic interesting but but i I, what's the book that you're reading right now um so this the the book that I have is a collection of some of his stuff, mm. um, but I'm reading a section.
0: Fragments. Of,
1: <clears throat> yeah, that's. I'm, so I'm right now. I'm reading through a section of a work called Either or. Oh, Either or. Yeah, right here. But in, answering your question about, um, I guess you answered, asked a couple of things. One is that mm-hmm. this is a. This is, this is maybe a, a porous distinction and a blurry, blurry line, but I definitely am much more of a, let's see, uh, a scholar than a critic. And by that, I mean, I think this, a lot of, a critic, a critic has the job of determining whether a book is good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, a scholar more often has the job of Assuming that the book is good, and finding what's good about it, um, and these are really different ways of reading, and um, <laughs> both are both are necessary. You know, if you're a, if you are a publisher,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you go into reading every book,
0: mm-hmm.
1: trying to just focus and bring out all of the amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Your job's going to be really hard because you're going to want to publish everything. So there are sometimes some types of reading that require a critical approach where you're like, is this a good book? Mm -hmm. Is this doing the things? Mm -hmm. But I tend to much more read in that scholarly way where I assume it's good. Um, I assume it's good. And, and there are books, I think, that grab me a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, that I have less of sort of an aesthetic sensibility for. Um, they don't inspire me quite as much. Mm. Um, but I'm a, basically everything I read, my approach to reading is to find what's valuable about this book. Mm. And maybe it's something valuable in a... Uh, cultural historical context Mm -hmm. maybe it's valuable in sort of a literary aesthetic context Mm -hmm. maybe it's just that maybe I thought the plot was really boring but there's a character or a passage or a moment that I think is spectacular and that that's that's something that can help me feel that the book is important Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to read a lot along the lines of Um, authors, periods, eras. I'm a very project-driven reader. Mm. I'll sit down and I'll say, I want to read every book that this person has written. Or I want to read as many books as I can that were written in this period. Mm. Um, Because, and and sometimes I do jump around. Like maybe I'll... um, like this, this fall or this spring, I read probably twenty novels that were written in France mm. between eighteen twenty-five and eighteen seventy-five, um, mm. and I, you know, th- there were some other things sprinkled in. Like I, I read, I read some different stuff, and um, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to. You know, I I, I don't want to be so limiting and restrictive that it's like I refuse to read anything else. But that's to see texts and conversation with other texts to start to build a picture. Um, I find that when I just read, you know, you can always get things out and, you know, you can read a text from any period or any um, author and, Get sort of an infinite richness of complexities. But when I'm able to understand some of the patterns, like, oh, this is a Flaubert novel, and I've just read 10 novels that precede it, written in the same place by people that influenced the author, mm-hmm. noticing those moments of strangeness or like, wow, okay this plot seems really similar to other stuff I've read. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't read the other stuff, I would have thought, oh yeah, it's just sort of generic. Yeah, But because I have read the other stuff, there are these, difference, these minute differences or the way it's told is different or something has changed, something's shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, that feeling that sometimes you need to know something really well mm-hmm. in order to recognize there's discrepancies or sort of little um, variations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's something I really like, and it's the same thing as a with a with a reading a bunch of stuff by an author. Yeah, um, that you st- when you've read so much of an author, you start to appreciate the trends and the ways mm-hmm. that their texts are connected. Right. Um, but you're also able to really point out when, like I just read. Uh, I just read this book, Haji Murat, which is a late work by Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read a fair bit of Tolstoy. I've mm-hmm. read a couple, War Piece Peace and Anna Karenina and the Cossacks and like a couple other things, um, Death of Ivan Ilyich and Confessions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really struck me that the main character, um, this guy, Haji Murat, is such a strange hero for Tolstoy right he's so different than any of the characters in those other books Mm -hmm. and that striking me so deeply required me to have this sort of context um, to build on
0: Mm. what advice would you give to someone who is currently trying to get to where you are which is already sort of deeply in the realm of of literature and sort of like just enjoying and getting getting up and reading a hundred pages every day. Um, I think that the
1: it's funny. I'm I, I I'm just I feel like I'm giving you so many different reading metaphors. <laughs> um, but but I, I guess that's how I think about it because I think yeah. reading is this reading engaging with storytelling is this practice which is connected to all these aspects of our lives. Um, one of the things I like to point out is reading is a uh, I mean I, I I guess you could say I guess mm-hmm. you could say um you could you could use the you could use the foreign country example as well. Right. Like if you go to like the first time you go abroad, you go to a different country, it's gonna be kind of scary. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do it. And maybe you fall in love with it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to go to a different place to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I think about most frequently is with students and with myself that if you say you, uh, you take the summer off mm-hmm. and you show up to the first day of soccer season and you, you haven't really run all, all summer you're going to get on the field and you're going to run for five minutes. You're going to feel it. And you're going to be exhausted. You'd be like, I can't do this anymore. Like, But by the end of the season, you run for 70, 80, 90 minutes because you've put in the work and you've trained. Stemina, and, yeah. and it's the same thing with reading. Like, If you aren't reading, if you haven't read in a while,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's going to not feel so good like, yeah. it's you know picking up a book and expecting just to be able to read it mm-hmm. is like saying oh yeah like i'll go play a full 90 i'll mm-hmm. go i'll go do like 20 reps of this exercise i'm gonna go i'll, I'll go run a half marathon I'll, yeah i haven't trained it's fine though i'll just do it it doesn't work like that mm-hmm. right you, you have to build up yeah, slowly, one by one. Yeah, so I think that um, part of part of why I think it's important to acknowledge is that um, when people, I think it's especially evident with um, physical activity, but also all sorts of other things, whether it's art or music, um, people expect to encounter some level of opposition and challenge and they actually sort of want it um when you i mean i'm talking a lot about soccer Mm because that's that's something we have in common but of course you know you go to training and you expect to be challenged and you don't go to training because it's going to be fun all Mm -hmm. the time right and you have this background level you're like okay you love it but you want to have those moments where you're Mm -hmm. like totally exhausted and you're like I'm expected to run more. I'm expected to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, the the challenge and sort of pushing you beyond your limits mm-hmm. is part of what, yeah, you're there for. Yeah, um, and the same the same is true of reading. Mm-hmm. Reading is reading should be challenging, right? And there should be these moments where, like, I don't know what I'm doing this is really hard, this is frustrating, I'm discouraged, mm-hmm. there should be that. Uh, and so so I, I guess just recognizing that the, the challenge of reading isn't because you're bad at it, like because you're a bad reader or because you're not naturally suited to it mm-hmm. or because, oh, it's it's not fun all the time, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, to recognize, like like so many other things, struggling and being challenged by it mm. is part of what makes it meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to. I love you know. I read a lot, and I have <laughs> have read a lot of different types of things. And I love when I read a text. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> Love like it just like challenge. makes your head hurt and you're like, yeah. what? And you figure it out. And you know, and you, you, you work through it and you try to figure it out, but it's that moment of struggle. Like you're pushing against something. Um, mm-hmm. You're encountering difficulty. You're trying to overcome difficulty and it's rewarding. And it comes back to this sense that mm-hmm. it is important um, mm-hmm. that you're working through and struggling because it's important. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. I really appreciate this. uh, No, we're a little short on time. So I'll just uh, usually with end of every podcast, I'll have final three questions for you. Um, If you want to keep it like one one, one sentence, like quick fire. But these are some interesting questions. So first question for you is what what are some non-negotiable values that you have for your life?
1: Hmm. One sentence, Jan.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, or, or a few, few if you need. <laughs> I guess... Uh,
1: I guess a non-negotiable value, something that I think is really important, mm-hmm. um, is the... I, I guess something that I feel very strongly from my – I got from my parents um, is that I've, I've, I've talked a fair bit about ethics in mm-hmm. literature. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of ethics in general as something that isn't really I, – I, I was thinking about this because of the word non-negotiable um, – Doing the right thing is sometimes difficult. um, And sometimes we don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But sort of the, I guess the preeminence of ethical obligation. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I'll just leave it there. The preeminence of ethical obligation.
0: Love it, and this this sort of ties ties our podcast in a circle. No, uh, there's two more, but we're a little short on time, so unfortunately. But I think we've talked about so much today that we have covered so much, and I just want to say, did you have a good time here today?
1: Yeah, it was it was really cool. I I loved that you. I appreciated we we went back and forth a lot to try to get me on here and it was it's, yeah it's a course. really cool really cool way cool to experience. wrap up the year
0: wrap up the year wrap the experience exactly and this is the final day uh well final friday yeah final, final day for a lot of people but thank you so much for coming and uh for listeners hope you all enjoyed and hope you learned a lot i learned so much today was, uh, my my mind is a little hurting from learning <laughs> that, that much information but thank you so much jack and uh thank you listeners and i'll see you in the next episode Bye bye